Hi folks, it's Dr. Christine Sauer here with Sparkles for Mental Health. And today I'm co-sparkling with my new friend, Sarah Webb. Sarah, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's a pleasure to meet you. Now, Sarah, you told me you're an author, an inspirational speaker, a self-proclaimed spiritual activist dedicated to leading an intentional life and on a mission to healing the world one person at a time. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, you also told me that you survived severe trauma. Tell us a little bit about your story, where you developed the trauma, what happened, and how you healed from that. Thank you so much. I appreciate the lead. And yes, absolutely. I don't really like to say that I'm a sexual trauma survivor because I'm really thriving. I was raped by eight men in 2008. It was actually yesterday, 14 years ago, as we record this. I was on vacation with my family in the panhandle of Florida. Ironically or serendipitously, I now live in a different area of Florida, but at the time I was living in Texas and we went on vacation and I went out to a bar without my family. It was our last night and the bartender there took me to another location and they gave me a shot, which had a very potent drug in it. And that was the last thing that I really remembered. I have spots of what happened after that. And gratefully, graciously, they propped me up outside of the hotel room or the, the hotel lobby. And I was pretty beaten up, but I was alive. Wow. And the next day and in subsequent days, I was able to piece together what had transpired. Now, when, when, when they put you in the hotel lobby, excuse me to interrupt you, but no. that is a terrible event. How did you know that something terrible happened? Well, a woman knows when she's had sex. So you were in pain, you were dirty. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't just um, vaginal sex. It was both places. You must and have felt terrible. It was incredibly painful. I did go see a doctor, but I did not tell anyone except for my sister because my sister saw me the next day and tell the doctor. Say it again. Did you tell it to the doctor? I did. Okay. And did you go to the police? I did not. I was too afraid to go to the police. I also didn't feel like I had justification. I, I was, I was scared. I was scared that I would be shamed. I was scared that I would be shunned. I was scared that I was pregnant, especially with that many opportunities, if you will. Uh, but I was not, and I really didn't deal with it. I shoved it down and I found myself drinking more in order to dull the pain and not think about what had occurred. Even though I had been a lesbian previous to that for a few years in college and thereafter, 
And one might think that this would send me straight back into the arms of women. I did not go that direction. Instead, I, a few years later, got married to a man and had my biological child. And it only took me really becoming dependent on alcohol, especially after I gave birth, because I was sober during pregnancy. But after I gave birth, I was very alone and used alcohol to cope. So I found myself addicted to alcohol and unable to really put it down for more than a few weeks and then going back to it. And so once I started changing my relationship with alcohol, I realized that, that I did. How did that happen? What, what triggered the change? It was a moment that we were at a party. <laughs> my daughter picked up a, a little toy chalice. I'm from New Orleans and we were in Florida, but It was like a little Mardi Gras cup, kind of like a King's It had like jewels on it. And she sipped it and said, this is my wine. And I was a wine drinker and it just hit me in the gut. Like, what am I teaching my daughter to do? What am, what, how am I showing her how to be just by being myself? So I started trying to change my relationship with alcohol and, and not drink. I mean, I was drinking every night, maybe not to drunkenness, but every night. And when I started it being so difficult, how did you do that? How did I stop drinking? Change your relationship with alcohol. So that's a gradual process, isn't it? Well, I, I did read a lot about the effects of alcohol, the dependency, the actual like chemical, physical addiction involved, you know, alcohol is a double whammy because it's addictive in and of itself, just the alcohol itself. And then we sugar it up. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if it's wine or if it's, uh, you know, usually there's sugar added to something that already has sugar in it. So when we change our relationship with alcohol, typically we have a lot of cravings for sweets and desserts and things like that. Okay. Yeah, it took about a year and a half and I did a lot of research and education and, and I finally found a really great support group where there were some women in my area who spoke my language and I felt like I could connect with them. And it's, you know, there's a famous Ted talk that, um, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection. And when we can connect with other people, especially other people who are living exuberant, joyful lives out of the strength, you know, without the constraints of alcohol off the bottle, then we see that our lives have so much more potential because I was just unhappy. I mean, I was in the closet. I was dependent on alcohol in order to make me feel okay about what had happened and the fact that I was living a lie. So yeah, when I got sober, I realized I didn't have to use alcohol in order to have sex with men anymore. I could. So what happened then? Eventually that trauma must have come back up, did it? Yes, absolutely. How did you deal with it? How did you heal from it eventually? Great question. And it certainly isn't an overnight thing. Healing is such a process, especially from something as deep as that. I used meditation. 
I started meditating for 20 minutes twice a day over six years ago. I practice transcendental meditation or TM. So I went to a teacher in my area and learned it's four it's a four day course, two hours each. And when I started doing that, I was five months pregnant. My life began to change dramatically. And there's a lot of physiological and neurological reasons why meditation works. It reorganizes the brain in such a way that parts of the brain that have been essentially disconnected can talk to one another again. It gets us out of the sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, and into the parasympathetic nervous system, rest and digest. And that's just simply by the way that our brain waves work. And I'm sure that you understand some of that, Dr. Sauer. Absolutely. I worked with Dr. Amen, and he did actually SPECT scan that meditation balances the brain. Mm -hmm. It doesn't quiet it necessarily, but it balances it. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Because we, we operate in beta, which is pretty high. You know, problem solving is up in gamma brainwaves and our beta brainwaves is our waking self. When we go into meditation, that's alpha brainwaves. It's like the first stage of sleep. And then there's theta underneath that, which is very deep healing. And underneath that there's Delta and that's deep sleep. So normally during our waking hours, we aren't in alpha, but when we use meditation in that way, it down regulates our nervous system and allows our brains to go into a more coherent, cohesive state. And when I started meditating, it really allowed me in yoga, we call, I'm a certified yoga teacher in yoga. We call it being the witness. It allowed me to kind of see my life from like a 30,000 foot view and to see what I was doing. It's like that meta analysis Meta thinking is thinking about your thinking <laughs> and to realize some of the destructive habits that I have, like drinking to excess. I mean, it was very easy to put it down when I was newly pregnant because I was so excited to be pregnant, but every night at five, six o'clock, because I was a school teacher at the time. So I would get off around three 30 or four. I would have an automatic thought about a glass of wine. And it made me realize that I was having this automatic thought. So yeah, meditation has really changed my life for the better. Yeah. It allows me to be introspective, more thoughtful, and more responsive instead of reactive. That is really amazing testimonial for meditation. Did you do anything else to heal from that terrible event? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Most recently, I have used a highly certified hypnotherapist in my area to go back into those memories and relive them, essentially, because the memories are there. Even though I was drugged and raped, I was still in there. And I have been able to go back to those experiences with my 41 year old brain that's very aware and with the hypnotherapist work through that and be able to forgive the people who did that 
they were afraid. They were probably repeating a pattern that they were taught somehow. And, you know, it's, it's a very cowardly thing to do, especially, you know, one of the poems in my forthcoming book says, you know, with that many hands, they really could have just held me down. <laughs> they didn't need to use a drug, but they did anyway. And that's a, it's, it doesn't make any sense to me, but, you know, anger is like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. That's and a good one. I like that. Oh, uh, it's not mine, but mine. Yeah, you'll it's find it. Yeah, it's, it's poisonous only to ourselves. We can think about it like when we're driving in a car. I see it so much with road rage or people who get really upset at other drivers. You know, somebody cuts you off, for example. Maybe it's a grandma. Maybe it's somebody who's on the way to see their new baby delivered. Maybe it's somebody who has a blind spot. It doesn't matter us getting upset in our driver's seat about that person and allowing it to fester in our own bodies after they drive away isn't doing us any good. Right. It just hurts us. And exactly. That's no good to us. <laughs> I love that. Now, you, you mentioned a poetry book. Tell me about what you're doing. And I know you have a new book. September 16th, I will give birth to my very first book, I have so many books in me, but this one came out rather rapidly. It's called Look Lush, and it's a collection of 55 poems. The first section is entitled Look, and it, it, it deals with healing from this trauma that we've discussed, especially through meditation. And Lush is the second part of the book, 34 poems. The first is 21 and lush has a few meanings, as you might imagine, it can mean something that's very beautiful and green and spacious and abundant. And it also is slang for somebody who drinks too much. And those poems deal directly with my healing from addiction, especially with meditation and the power of nature. I used the beach. I was 86 days sober when quarantine hit. So that was a real test because all over social media, people were talking about, well, there's nothing else to do. We might as well drink. And I did not. Instead, I went within, I used meditation heavily. I went out to the beach. I, I'm very fortunate to live very close to the beach here in Tampa Bay. I'm in St. Petersburg. And I really just drank in nature. I, I believe that if we can't meditate. The first stages of meditation is just to spend time in nature, like obviously without our phones, without technology. And, and so, yeah, the, the book will be published on the 16th of September and you can it's get so it at exciting. Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. <laughs> I will make sure to share all the links that you want to share underneath the video and in the description so that whoever's interested in the book can get it. And of course you can get to Amazon and look for Sarah Webb. And the book Lush, Look Lush. That's right, Look Lush. September 16th, that's coming up. Exciting. It'll be about $9 in print and about $4 on ebook. So very affordable. Absolutely. So absolutely get it because many people want to heal from trauma. Mm -hmm. And so many women have survived in some form or other sexual abuse, but they're not able to completely heal. And some compensate with overeating, as you know. Many obese people have sexual abuse when you go back to the childhood. Mm 
What would you say to those people that still struggle with the memories and don't know what to do with it? Well, first of all, I think it's not our fault. And our coping mechanisms are beautiful. They are protecting us. If we can embrace these and then maybe we can put them down. It's just like if we are learning how to ride a bike, we need training wheels and maybe some, maybe we're learning how to rollerblade. We need knee pads and elbow pads, but eventually we can relieve ourselves of those things. So I think it's first coming to ourselves with compassion. Self-compassion is so important because unless we have compassion for ourselves, we can't have compassion for others. And you mentioned overeating. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes we pad ourselves as literal protection in order to keep people away. You know, I see that a lot in my private client practice and food is something that unfortunately the previous generation often used as parent or grandparent figures in order to pacify us. Oh, you fell down and hurt yourself. Let's go get you some ice cream. And so this is why we end up standing in front of the refrigerator, wondering what's wrong with ourselves. Yeah, I love it. Dr. Amen says, why do we celebrate by hurting the brain? <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. All right. Beautiful. So you say now, open to the flow we create. What does it mean? Say it again. You say that uh, you should be open to the flow that we create. What does that mean? Open to the flow that we create. Yeah. I'm not sure where you pulled that from, but that does sound like me. I oftentimes tell my clients it's about not pushing the river. It's about getting into the flow of the river when we're constantly struggling, especially in America. I know you're so lucky to live up there in Canada, but we're, we're always fighting something. They do you know, we're all here. <laughs> I'm originally from Germany, but Canada is the same as the U.S. It's the same as most very culturally. Western Europe. It's yeah. a culture. Yeah, very culturally. You swim so. against the stream and then you exhaust yourself and exactly and, and be wonder why am I so burned out? <laughs> exactly. It's like it takes a little bit less time to go with the jet stream on our way to the from the west to the east in any place in the world. But when we're trying to fight it, it takes a lot more energy. And so if we can just get into the flow, I mean there's only a couple of things in life that you can control your thoughts and what you do about your thoughts, otherwise known as your actions, which is really hard for some people to understand. They're constantly running around trying to control people and situations. And, you know, it's like the Buddha says, you know, you can, can you do something about it? Okay. Well then why be upset? Oh, you can't do something about it? Okay, then why be upset? <laughs> Either do something about it or don't. Either way, there's no reason to stress and struggle about it because it's not doing anyone any good, especially us and our nervous system and all the cortisol that it's pumping into our bodies, which is incredibly dehydrating for our bodies. And it fatigues our brain. It fatigues our adrenals when we're in that constant fight or flight 
trying to fight things, trying to control things. I, I mean, it's something I'm still working on myself because it's not like all of a sudden everything's perfect, right? But we we train ourselves with gratitude and affirmations and meditation. And I mean, exercise is incredibly powerful. All the wonderful endorphins and serotonin that it releases into our bodies, into our bloodstreams. You know, I always find that a holistic approach that we change little things at a time because we can change one little thing a day. That's it. We can't change everything. That's why diets fail. They try to do everything at once. It doesn't work. <clears throat> but you can change one thing. Drink a little bit water. Nice cup. I love my cup. Life is short. Do stuff that matters. Oh, I love it. <laughs> from Danny Ivy. Thanks, Danny. And uh, it, it, it's really true. And uh, it, it, it is so true when you say, don't swim against the river. So many people try it instead of going with the flow swimming to the side a little bit and you get to the shore where you want to. You don't have to swim against the stream. You can swim 90 degrees. Yes. Yes. The gentle way of change. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's a great meme online where it shows two ladders and there's one ladder that has really big rungs in between it. And the other one has manageable steps. And it's like, why why small changes work better. You can't reach the next one. It's like, that's why so many people are in my gym on January 1st until January 21st. And then the gym is back to normal. (laughs) They they go in, they pump it hard instead of, I mean, if you're going to make a change, why not do it on a random Tuesday in September? It doesn't have to be, or or the start of a new month. It doesn't have to be the start of a new year because- my opinion is if you want to change, if you make the decision now, start now. Make one little change today. No problem. That's all we have. Yeah, that's all we have. All we have is now. You don't there- know if you're there in 10 minutes. I always say that to my friend and to shock them. And they say, I don't know if I'm there in 10 minutes. I don't care if I die tomorrow now or tomorrow. The only thing I don't like is that you will have to clean up my body. Uh, I would prefer you not to have to. <laughs> you know, they're, they're going back just a tiny bit. There was a sign in one of the bars that I used to go to in Texas. And it said, free beer tomorrow. The sign always said, free beer tomorrow. And so if we put off everything to tomorrow, it's like... So many people, humans, we're, we're constantly like, well, once I get to this stage and, and once I achieve this, and, and really the key is to be happy and to be satisfied and to find joy and to find meaning where we are, because this is all we have. It's like the donkey with the carrot out in front of it, walking toward the carrot. It's never going to get to it yeah. unless... We enjoy this moment right now, right? Yeah, so true. There's that famous song, tomorrow never comes. And it doesn't. (laughs) And so many people live in their memories or in Mm -hmm. their imagination. Neither one doesn't exist. Exactly. So even memories are so fallible. So let me ask you, what do you usually do all day? 
And what would you like our listeners to know about you that they should know when they want to reach you? What do I usually do all day? Oh, I'm so blessed to be incredibly busy. Lately, I've been putting out a lot of reels on Instagram. You can follow me at Sarah Webb says, that's S-A-R-A-W-E-B-B-S-A-Y-S. I put out inspirational reels about yoga, which yoga is not just asana, about meditation, about gratitude, positivity, and just a lot of things about my journey. So I spend some time doing that. I've also been on a virtual book tour as my book is just a few months from being released, doing a lot of podcast interviews. I am also a spiritual activist. I prefer that to coach because I think that sometimes we don't really have, I don't know, a coach just sounds so authoritative and directive and like they're yelling at you from the sidelines and I like to coach. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Go on. Sorry. Right. I mean, life coach just sounds kind of tired and lame. It's like you can run your life, but I can be an activist and advocate for you to become more spiritually attuned, more spirit spiritually aligned with yourself. And I think that, you know, not everybody needs a meditation teacher, but maybe they need a meditation mentor And I also call myself a gratitude guru. So, you know, I wear all these different hats for my private clients, which, you know, we meet either in person, if you're local, or a lot of my work is obviously via Zoom. I'm also an inspirational speaker. And that is something that I do a couple times a month. I do it for private clients, you know, big events sometimes conferences. And I also work in offices in order to do corporate training for stress relief. Obviously meditation is a big part of that. So yeah, I speak, I write, I play. <laughs> and You're busy I, and you have a private life too. And you have some four-legged fur babies too. I have three children, two bonus kids and one biological child and so many animals. It's ridiculous. Yes, we certainly love our animals. My wife had a few. I had one. We all came together and there's like nine souls in our house. So it can be very, very busy. I really rely on my meditation a lot because when we go into deep samadhi states, that physiologically, neurologically speaking, just 20 minutes of deep meditation is equivalent to eight hours of sleep. Wow. So when I'm feeling tired, I, I don't drink coffee anymore. I used to, I've, I've quit it altogether. And when I'm tired, I meditate or I go to sleep. <laughs> and well, if I do need coffee, boy, does it work, but I don't drink it every day as a habit, as a rule. So yeah, I, I love my life and I'm not saying it's a cakewalk. I mean, I still have big challenges. In fact, I, I feel like when you up-level spiritually, it's kind of like up-leveling in a game where it just gets harder and more challenging and you have less time to complete it because you have more skills. And so sometimes I, I wonder, I'm like, okay, 
I think I really want to rest now. Like I'm, I'm really good with all this growth, but sure enough, life throws something else my way. There's always the next level. Mm-hmm. And I love That's it. That's the exciting part about life because how bored would we be if we would right. be steady all day? I am fall asleep you. and not know what to do with ours. I am with you. Absolutely. Now, if you would put in one sentence, the yes. best advice you have for my listeners, what would you say? I think that self-compassion, forgiveness is really the most important step with anything. One of the most, well, one of my favorite aspects of yoga, there's four limbs of yoga is ahimsa, which is nonviolence. And while I am vegan, I don't think that that's all that that means. I think that so often inside of our heads, we can beat ourselves up by saying, why did you do that? Oh, I, you know, you're so stupid. I don't really like that word. And, and another word that I've eliminated from my life because it doesn't have anything to do with self-compassion or forgiveness is the H word hate. I don't use the H word because when we say that we don't want something or we say that we H something, it's still drawing it energetically to us. It's like, if I say, do not under any circumstances, think about an octopus in rollerblades. You're going to think about an octopus and rollerblades and wonder how many rollerblades are on each tentacle, right? So self-compassion and forgiveness, I think they really go hand in hand. It's forgiving ourselves and being compassionate to ourselves when we mess up, when we make a mistake, when something doesn't go our way and not using that H word about things in our lives and instead practicing compassion outwardly. Because once we can be compassionate with ourselves, then we can open that up to the world. Sarah, thank you so much for that inspirational talk. Thank you. Don't forget, folks, on the 16th, her book comes on, what is it? Look Lush on Amazon. September 16th. That's right. If you like Sarah, I hope you do. Get a copy. Check it out. I'm pretty sure the poems are as amazing as you are. Thank you so much. This has been enlightening and empowering. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And you have a wonderful day and keep on sparkling. (laughs) That's right. I always say, make it a great day. You're the only one who can. And the only way to do that is with your own sparkle. Yes. I I added the last part for you. That's fine. You know what I always say? When several people sparkle together, we got fireworks. That's right. Let's sparkle together and create fireworks. I love that. It's so beautiful. In that sense, that was Sparkles for Mental Health for today. You have a wonderful rest of the day, and I hope you see us for the next episode. Bye-bye.